This podcast was created as a part of Podcast Lab by India Film Project in association with Anchor by Spotify. Strangely during my nascent years I never read uh, as a kid. I didn't particularly enjoy it. It it almost felt like a punishment to you know sit in a corner and then concentrate and read. Uh I think when I was 8 or 9 and my mom was really afraid that uh reading would never stick with me and she felt that reading was essential to you know your overall development and creativity etc that's when she took me to my uncle and she said you got to make this girl read and um I'll never forget that evening because it was uh, you know life changing in many ways he uh, brought out an old dated copy from the, from his time as a kid of the magic faraway tree and he sat me down he sat tiny 8 year old me down and i was really tiny um for for an 8 year old and he um started reading from the book he has a really Like he has an incredible voice and throw, and he started telling me about all these really crazy characters, Moonface and Silky, and you know the lands that you um, encounter when you climb up the magic faraway tree. And I was just staring at him with big eyes. I, I was just staring back at him, and he then gave me this copy, and he said, "I promise you're going to enter a whole other world. That's going. That's going to change." you forever and you won't be able to keep this book down and um true to his words i finished that book so quickly and then there was no stopping and then i just jumped into the bandwagon of you know just reading and i kept reading 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 like m- more of like um you know the, the f- famous five secret seven the magic faraway tree the six cousins mallory towers and every week I would recreate one of the stories and I would you know enact it with a bunch of my cousins and um I don't know like it was I feel like um like I said like I attribute a lot of my creativity to the, the number of books I consumed while I was growing up because every birthday I would get all the like all the cash that I would get on my birthdays I would go to landmark and you know splurge on books I would be in Elur lending library every week uh returning and borrowing um more books and I really feel that was very formative to the way I think even now uh and yeah very formative to the way I think and um really shaped the way I view the world the way I right even and the way i articulate the the way i you know like um like come up with concepts even on a on a very architectural sense it's all intrinsically linked to my years of um reading as a kid Hey everyone, welcome to the Closet Writer Chronicles. I'm your host Sangeeta, aka the Moody Marshmallow. You just heard our guest for today, Ashna Lulla. Ashna is an architect and interior designer who grew up in Chennai. She has an eye for detail and her aesthetics are driven by traditional yet modern designs. She has worked at reputed practices across India while being an aspiring writer. 
and she is now foraying into architectural journalism. She is currently preparing to come out with her debut book, With Love, Madras. Join me as I chat with her about her journey from architecture to writing and get to know her a little better. So hi, Ashna. Welcome to the Closet Writer Chronicles. It's so good to have you here. Hi, Sangeeta. I'm really honored that you chose me to be part of this. No, no, not at all. I'm so happy to have you and uh, I'm excited for our discussion today. So kind of, you know, diving right in, um, how did you get into writing? And, you know, when did you realize that this was something you wanted to professionally pursue considering you're actually an architect and you're into design as well so how did that happen so uh, my path to writing has not been a linear one uh, for everyone who does not know me I am an architect and uh, it's what I've studied and practiced ever since I graduated uh, so uh, in architecture architecture is typically a five-year program and uh, the fourth year is a year-long internship so when I went off to Bangalore for my internship, I'd gotten to a really established practice and there were 10 interns at the, you know, in the office at the time. And I realized how far behind I was in terms of like, just like, you know, knowing things about the design world, knowing things about architecture, like my peers were very invested in educating themselves on, you know, a daily basis and Bangalore itself as a city is very, um, you know, design centric. So there are, there are always like tons of talks, workshops, and, you know, um, like these uh, pr presentations where different architects come and uh, present their projects and, you know, explain the entire thought process behind it. So right. uh, it used to happen like every Friday and I was super interested in it. And uh, I realized that, you know, I really needed to like buck up and catch up. And that's when I started consuming design publications on a very uh, disciplined level. Like I would come to office half an hour earlier and I would just consume different kind of, like, you know, different kind of design news. It, it was not only architecture. It was just like, you know, a graphic design product, textile, any kind of design news. And I did that for a year and I really enjoyed it. And I think that's when I realized that, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even realize it back then, but I realized that, I really enjoyed consuming design news and I really, I really enjoyed like writing. Like I would like take notes and, you know, like take notes of all my learnings. I would listen to podcasts and stuff like that. And I realized that that was my niche and that's what I really always like wanted to know about. So uh, like it's only in the last one year that I've, that, um, you know, I realized that this is something that I actually enjoy do, doing because I spend so much time doing it, like researching and then writing. And uh, which is, so it's been a very recent discovery that I want to write for design publications. Okay. And uh, I'm trying to just build a portfolio, uh, you know, to get that first byline out. No, but that's, that's amazing, you know, that you kind of found that, oh, like, this is something I could do and kind of integrating what you're already like professionally doing, which is architecture into that architecture and design. Um, but then, you know, having said that, you know, I always think there's always these certain pieces that I think that stay with you, especially I think in writing, I feel like with most writers, this happens There's this one piece of writing you see and you're like, oh my God, this is written so beautifully. This is written so well. I wish I could write like this, or, you know, maybe I can, 
attempt doing something like this so what are some stories or pieces of writing that have you know really stayed with you i mean it can be books can be articles can even be movies or podcasts and are there any writers that really inspire you uh so i think uh, actually it's, it's a very interesting question because i feel that i embarked on a creative path like architecture is very creative even though it is technical uh because of the kind of books i consumed as a child i feel like right. you know um like since we studied like in lady andal together like our childhoods and like you know just what we were exposed to and the way we learned and did things was very different uh, from the kind of schools the other you know the education that other kids got at the time there was a lot of emphasis on you know extracurricular activities on right. you know our plays and everything right and also um, you know just the kind of fiction that i consumed as a child i, f- I feel like that really was formative to shaping uh, you know shaping how i creatively think now uh, so one of the books that uh, like again this is not design related but one of the books that have really stayed with me through the years is this uh, is this book called Anne of the Green Gables oh, i'm yeah. not sure if you've read it i really really loved reading it when i was when i was like 12 or 13 mm-hmm. because um the language is great it paints um it paints such a beautiful uh it it paints such a beautiful like description of the kind of like you know the the kind of place and grows up in it also talks it also you know speaks of very like nuanced emotions and it's a child you know it's it's a book for children right and you know it spoke about like feminism like the, she was like a feminist and it spoke about all these things uh you know for for a book that was written when it was written it was very very ahead of its time right. and uh, i've always found myself uh, going back to that book at different junctures in life sometimes it's just because it's very comforting to you know go back to that you know it reminds me of my childhood and stuff like that mm. but if you have to ask me in the recent um you know what are the stories or pieces of writing that have stayed with me so i really 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 like this uh, particular podcast called uh, design matters by debbie millman okay. uh, she actually is a professor at uh, sba in new york school of visual arts in new york okay. and uh, she actually uh, so design matters is the first podcast on design in the world oh okay yeah so she's like i don't i don't even i don't even have a count of the number of episodes that you know she's recorded and and basically why i really like it is because she finds the most interesting people mm. like they you know they're a combination of different creative careers they would be like an author and like like uh, you know an illustrator or like a musician and something else you know like very seemingly contrasting uh, creative creative professions but then it just makes you realize that creativity is so intertwined right. what i really love about her podcast is that she researches the hell out of her guests mm. she's read like every article every book she spends a lot of time even deciding who she's going to get on to the show and it's more than just a you know it's not a superficial day off or what they do but right. it really breaks down their journey on how you know sometimes you when you look up look up at someone and you see, you want to emulate their path you uh, you want to know how they did what they did and because a lot of our problems and 
you know, it it actually is very similar, right? You, your right. context may be different, but so it's really comforting when you know that, okay, you know, this led to that and that led to this. And, you know, it just reassures in your own or affirms in your own head that, you know, everything will eventually connect. And I really like the way she really like delves into each uh, profession and each person and and I think, yeah, I mean, if it's the first podcast on design, then, I mean, she's been doing it for so long. She's obviously pro at it. So, I mean, there's never been an episode that I've been disappointed with. Like, I'm always, like, excited to, like, and there's so many episodes, so I always have something cool to pick. So I definitely really, really like um, the work that she puts up. Another really cool book that I've read, uh, not at one shot, but, like, you know, uh, in like pieces is this book called 74 short essays on design okay. uh, again very very cool because it speaks about so many aspects of design with a very storytelling lens like it's not it's not even boring for someone who is not in the design world it's written by this a person called Michael Beirut, who actually okay. runs, uh, who's actually the founder of this organization called Pentagram. Uh, okay. Very huge org- yeah, Pentagram has done like the communication for Hillary Clinton. They right. have like, they have all the biggest like, you know, um, like clients in, you know, like politics, design and, uh, you know, healthcare and everything. And they wanted to like, you know, again, one of the oldest and most prestigious uh, design agencies in the world. So Michael Beirut is actually the spokesperson for graphic design and he's written like many cool books, but 74 short essays on design would probably be my favorite. It always stayed with me because again, right? Like you have to have gone through so many different experiences and to kind of like, you know, at that point, write and make it so engaging for someone who's just starting out. So I think, uh, yeah, if I had to really talk about, uh, books and articles I mean I wanted to talk about one from my past and then two from you know what's inspired me in in the recent so I guess it would be these wow no that's amazing uh definitely checking out that podcast it sounds really interesting um and yeah I have not read Anne of Green Gables but I did watch some of the episodes on Netflix because it's been adapted into a series um and with an e I think that's what it's called um so yeah it's interesting Yeah, so I I think it's a really sweet show, which I still have to finish. But yeah, definitely check out that podcast uh, for sure. But, you know, kind of coming back to um, architecture and design. So like how we spoke about, you know, content that's inspired you, um, you know, while growing up and I guess when you were making that decision to study architecture and, you know, kind of go into design, were there ever any projects or architectural masterpieces that you thought that, oh my God, I absolutely love the way this is built or this is designed? And similarly, are there any, you know, designers or architects that you look up to? Uh, yeah, actually, so uh, my dad was working on building Park Hyatt in Chennai and um, they were building like this really cool restaurant called the Flying Elephant. Um, okay. Park Hyatt's built a couple years ago. So at the time, Flying Elephant was, I mean, I think even now it's a very like novel concept, the way it's been executed and all of that. And uh, uh, the design, there was, uh, the designer who was working on the project was uh, a man named George Wong. Uh, my dad was actually, uh, we were actually taking a trip to the US and um for some reason, uh, I think I was in the ninth or tenth grade then, and for okay. some reason, I didn't I didn't want to go shopping, and I chose to go into one of these meetings with my dad, and um, I 
I mean, that memory is etched in my head forever because it kind of it kind of made me, uh, you know, want to pursue this path. So basically, like his studio was, I took the like these, uh, you know, like these old Parsi lifts. Like mm. I got into one of them, and uh, it's so strange that you you know you think that New York is like you know you wouldn't have these kind of things, but super old school. And I actually, you know, you had to actually rotate like a lever to go up to his level. Oh, and wow. when I reached, yeah, when I reached his level, it was like this tiny little studio. Uh, not tiny for New York standards, but tiny little studio. And there was a TT table that okay. had been fashioned into his conference table. Oh, and wow. uh, there were like sketches and like renders and like material swatches and, you know, all of that surrounding us. And it, I was just like, wow, I would like love to walk into a space like this every single day of my life. Hmm. His energy was great. He had like a, you know, he had projected like the presentation on the screen and he was talking about, you know, how um, every cuisine had like a different level. And he was, you know, he really delved into like the minutest of details, like, you know, uh, what, like he he had thought about things like, you know, what the waiters would wear, what was the kind of cutlery, how the furniture would, was going to be shaped, what it would make you feel, how the right. vibe of each zone would be different. And I found that so, so fascinating because mm. it was just like a concept presentation. And I was, uh, I was starstruck. And uh, that I think was my first, in, uh, you know, first introduction to uh, architecture and design. And I think I just came back and, you know, I think in 11th or 12th, um, I, I, I mean, I find it really ridiculous even saying this out loud, but because I came school first and 10th, I told my parents that, oh, all the smart kids take science. So <laughs> I will also take science. Never asked myself whether I really was, you know, cut out to do science. And then I was just like, yeah, you know, that afternoon kept coming back to me. And I was like, yeah, it makes sense, science and architecture. So um, that's how, I, I mean, that's what really, um, you know, got me to uh, getting into this. And uh, in terms of like uh, architects that I look up to, so actually I've realized, uh, I, re I, sh I realized that, you know, even when I was working in college and especially when I went into my job, uh, my right. boss even told me that I was more drawn to um, interior design and graphic design, like okay. a happy medium between the two. So I've uh, even like the kind of work that I look up to and the kind of people that I follow, like even Debbie Millman, for instance, the podcast, right? Like she's actually a brand strategist. Okay. She's not an architect, but that's the kind of content I consume. So I, um, for me, like, um, you know, like, I discovered this really cool company when I was working in Bangalore. Like my boss told me about them. They call Avroco. Okay. And they're based in New York and they predominantly do hospitality projects. So why I really like them is that because of all the four founders, you know, they have equal shares and okay. they share like their creative duties and they don't really have like defined roles in the company. And uh, so basically how the, how they, how they came together was that, of four of them so two of them were architects and two of them were graphic designers and they were all studying I think at Carnegie Mellon okay. and uh, what happened is that you know um, like this happened like completely like in isolation so the two architects when when they got a project they would each work on their respective projects and then switch between them okay. and then like you know work on the others and then switch back so the final product was always a culmination of two people's thought and not one 
So, mm. and the same, and you know, parallelly at the same time, these two graphic designers were also doing something like that. And the four of them actually met in their late twenties because okay. they had a project that required interiors and graphics to be done and they worked together and it was magic. And then they were like, you know, I think that this is what we should do. Like, this is like, we should like offer everything from like designing a space to designing the menu, to designing what the waiters wear, to designing what cutlery comes, to designing like what's, you know, like back then no social media. So what the advertisements would look like, what the promotions would look like. And that's really how their company came into being. And um, I really, really, really find them cool because, um, you know, like just the way they operate, right? Like they're, Every detail is so thoughtful, and uh, what they a very cool thing that they said is that um, you know like every time the like the best design comes when it's so layered when it's so layered and so many things have been thought about that every time you go into the space you discover something new. Yeah. So um, yeah, I really like them for that, and also I really like them is because. They also uh, have this really cool thing called magic cards where they each each of them write their visions or what they want to achieve. And then basically their mission is to help the other, like basically the four of them have to help each other get through their to-do list of what they want to do. And I think that's the energy that they've kept going. And they, you know, they keep every three months, like they, uh, you know, go off somewhere and they revisit these lists and their vision and, they've kind of like, you know, they're like the pioneers of like hospitality. And in fact, like, a, like their design is so good that now they even own a couple of like, you know, brands and they've started this whole thing called hospitable thinking and all of that. So it's amazing. Yeah, I found, yeah, I find it really, really cool because, you know, they've published like artworks, they've like, you know, redesigned like tiny apartments and flipped them. They've, you know, like created really cool, like vintage, you know, uniforms, they've opened a brand consultancy because all these individual things were on, on dif- you know, on their different lists and right. they've like, you know, made it happen. So, yeah, so I think, yeah, I would, I would talk, I mean, definitely there's some, they're like they're a company that I would aspire to work for. Yeah, no, that's, they sound like a really cool organization because mm-hmm. I know for me, like, I mean, I'm no architect, but I think the, my first ever, experience even appreciating architecture was actually even just like because I'm Malayali so whenever I go to Kerala like I end up visiting like a lot of relatives and some of them still live in these really old ancestral Kerala houses so for me like I think that was the first time I would be in awe because obviously in the city you you don't see architecture like that so I think for me it was that the temples and I think um, I think the f- first time I was really, I think, blown away by like a functional modern piece of architecture was, I think I was traveling on work. This is when I was still in shipping and logistics. And I went to Antwerp for like a shipping conference kind of thing. And I visited the Antwerp port house, which was designed by Zaha Hadid. And I was mm. blown away by the way it looked on the outside because it looked like art from the from the outside and then I remember walking in and it was still beautiful but I was so amazed at how functional it was in spite of how it looked because I was like this is not what you expect when you walk in and I thought for an office space that was just amazing so yeah I mean 
so i'm wanting to actually you know grow up and become an architect or get into design i can only imagine how odd you must have mm. been you know by everything that was like happening around you and yeah the flying elephant is an amazing restaurant it is it's mm. it's beautifully designed um i love going there um anyone in chennai who's not been there please visit if you can mm. but yeah uh, that's amazing but you know coming to the whole architecture thing you know i wonder because i feel like most professions have this uh, creative professions mostly uh but then i wondered you know are there any misconceptions people have about you know architects or architecture and what's the biggest one you see okay there are plenty and i know so far i've painted like this you know beautiful picture of how it's been for me and all of that so i think like uh like i said i was very um I wasn't very informed right it was just that one afternoon that I had and I was just like yeah yeah I'm going to do architecture so um I think that um you know to succeed in architecture itself you need like equal parts of your left and right brain because as much as it is creative it is super super technical and it's very important that you enjoy it because it's very hard very grueling lot of long hours and um you know very low reward like a lot of people don't even like respect the profession because they just feel like if they hire like carpenters or like civil engineers and they just show them an image of pinterest they're going to get what you know they're going to get uh, what they want and they just you know people just have like a lot of people have this miscon like not a misconception but a lot of people believe that you know the role of an architect is really like it it's not that required right it's right. a very um, you know only if like you're super rich then you can afford an architect and all of that so um i think that and i think um you know i just feel like a lot of people from the outside think that it's very glamorous and like you know just like how i did right like i'm yeah. surrounded in the you know i'm in this cool room uh doing all these things but like you know you really don't understand like the intricacies of like you know actually like you know i mean most of your day is really you fleshing out option after option on either a 3d modeling software or cad like the presentation bit is just the fun bit that comes you know once like after like months of like working like that so you know yeah. even your typical day to day is like it, i mean it's not very um and yeah i i just think that you you really need to love it right. to be in it because like you make it's one of the lowest paid professions so you really mm. like you really need to have like a very strong why to you know like tell yourself why you're doing this for so long and you know you yeah basically you see the reward very late so i think right. that's uh one of the things and i also think that at least colleges in india at least again the college i studied at it really doesn't paint an accurate picture of what the what your work life is the internship was a good lens into that okay and i really think what they've done now which i think is really cool is that they've given you an option at year 3 to exit okay <laughs> yeah which i think is really great and i which i wish they had given everybody you know when like when we were studying because 5 years is a long time to invest when right. you don't even get like a real picture of what it's going to be like for you once you graduate yeah okay yeah wow even i wasn't yeah that's true architecture does seem like a fairly glamorous job at least the ones who do really well it seems really glamorous yeah. for them but yeah of course you never see um the kind of work that goes behind it for sure um but yeah um 
It's kind of, I guess, moving to a more light, well, not lighter, but a more special topic. Um, so you started working on a book in the past, uh, during the pandemic, if I'm right about that, you can correct me. Um, it's called Homes of Madras. How did that happen? And what has that journey been like? Okay, so it was called Homes of Madras, but now it's called With Love Madras. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it was actually, um, so uh, during the pandemic, uh, like I was working on a shoot with another friend, uh, Vignesh, who is also, I mean, who is uh, like the, my co-author uh, on With Love Madras. And, uh, you know, I was styling this space and he was photographing this space and we did not know who the clients were we basically didn't know anything about them and but at the end of the day like you know they like heavily engaged with us and we were like asking them questions and you know we really we understood their story at the end of the day and how the space came into being because they kind of like put the entire space together and stuff like that and I found that really really interesting because I thought that you know there are so many homes in the city that you know probably have really cool stories but you know, they haven't been published or right. no one really knows about them uh, for two reasons. A, Chennai is not very represented in the design industry itself right. because uh, people think that it's a very traditional aesthetic and not like, and people just don't think that um, like Chennai or Madras as a city is, uh, you know, very design focused, which is completely untrue. And the second thing is that um, I think people over here are also a little more conservative and no one really wants to flaunt like you know the beautiful homes that they have and right. you know all of that so um I just thought that would be really cool if we discovered homes in the city and we wrote about them and um I just do I mean I just voiced it out to Vignesh and um he was like and we thought that it would be a really cool way for us to build a portfolio like when you have a project right. and it has like a timeline and uh, you know, like you're also accountable to someone else. Like I wanted to get really good at writing because I thought that if not now, then when? Right. So I was just like, at least I should give myself a shot and see if I, you know, enjoy doing it. And this seemed like a low risk, but really fun way of getting better at what we each wanted to get better at. Right. So the book, so the project really started like that, but it grew to be uh, something that we, you know, larger than what we imagined because of the way we approached it. Like, I didn't want it to be like a random DIY effort. I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, we really like wrecked homes. We had like a list of hundred homes and then we like narrowed it down. We conducted surveys. We tried to understand what people are looking for. You know, right. even the way we discovered homes, right? Like it was, uh, you know, a lot through, through other people, through journalists, through articles, sometimes just about reading about like really cool people and, you know, things that they're doing and then hoping that, you know, they have very cool homes. And so, and in the process of like, you know, getting better at our skills, we all, you know, each of us like seek a mentor to help us. So, you know, we got, you know, so that we understood that, you know, this is what it takes to really put out a project that's good. So I think, um, what's been really like fascinating about the journey is discovering Madras from the lens of so many different people and all the time people that we've met over the internet and Mm. to to date some of them we haven't even met in person but the the help that they extended because they believed in the project and they believed in our efforts has been so, so heartwarming because I never I never really thought that you know I would get to speak 
to like you know the editor of El Decor or the edit or the global editorial director of Condé Nast or like yes. you know a cool writer in the U.S. or you know like one of the coolest architectural photographers and you know the project has made those people accessible to us and that in itself is so rewarding. So I think uh, you know and the best part is that we didn't really put pressure on ourselves. We let the journey you know take us to where we are at right now. Right. No, that's amazing. And um, I've been fortunate uh, fortunate enough mm-hmm. to see um, glimpses of this book. Um, and it, it's lovely. Um, it's very well, it's, it's very thoughtfully put together, I think. And it really kind of makes the effort of representing the essence of what Madras or Chennai is. Um, and I'm really excited for people to read it once it's out. I'm excited to get a copy myself once uh, it comes out. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, both of us have been in Chennai for so long. Uh, we've studied here, we've done our schooling here and whatnot, and we've also worked a good amount of time in the city. Um, and I know you'll be shifting cities soon. Um, but you know, that kind of, again, sort of begs the question, you know, you've worked on this project and, you know, you're moving cities and whatnot. What does home mean to you? Uh, you know, it's so weird because I've been designing homes all my life uh, when I was, you know, when working at which all the firms that I've worked at. But I feel like I discovered what home really meant to me only through this book. And okay. uh, I'm going to quote, uh, you know, one of the homeowners who basically, you know, one of one of my I don't want to say my favorite, but one of the houses that really, uh, you know, have my heart. Uh, it's called La Casa Roja, and it's going to be the last story in our book. And okay. basically, um, the owner, Ranjit, said that homes should feel familiar, snug, and warm, like old worn socks. Hmm. What he basically meant by that is that even if you're getting it designed by an architect, even if you're, you know, even if it's a brand new house, when you step in, it should feel very familiar Right. you as a person because that's the space that you inhabit and I you know that has stayed with me and you know has been like I'm designing like a couple of like a, a small homes for people and that has been like my guiding factor when I'm designing each of their homes because a lot of the times architects want to design what's trending or what they would like to stay in or you know, a lot of that, and that's very common. Like I, I have right. done that too, right? Like you want your vision in that space, but you know, it's about um, a careful negotiation of uh, what is really like beautiful, right. but also what resonates with uh, the the people who are going to be living in that space. Right. And um, I think that the best homes, uh, you know, like the, again, this is something that's very common. When you see magazines and stuff like that, there'll be like these pristine images with these gorgeous artifacts and, you know, all of that, like beautifully shot and right. you know those images get published. Right. Hmm. But all the homes, I'm not even kidding. Every single home that I visited uh, during the book, Vignesh right. and I made it uh, like we were very adamant that we did not want to like Photoshop anything out. We did not want to style it like right. I didn't want to rearrange anything. I wanted it to be you know, I wanted to capture it just the way I was seeing it. And, uh, you know, the best homes, you know, talk about the journeys you've taken as a human being. So, you know, like, um, 
like even all the objects like it was so interesting to see you know to to hear the homeowners talk about like oh you know we got this particular light from like this antique shop that was 50 kilometers away from london on a rainy like you know a cold afternoon it's you know it's all these little things that have come together from different pockets of their life mm. and then they're infused into the space that has so much more meaning than filling the home with pretty looking objects that have no personal connection to you yeah and that's the same with like furniture with objects with you know even the way a space is like you know layered like i i just loved that madras is a city and the homes that we've covered had so much thought into how all of this was put together and i think that this can only happen when uh you have when you are so deeply invested in making that home a uh, you know like uh, a mirror of who you are or who you're evolving as a person and i feel like the home also should evolve you know with you like it's always nice to like move these things around rearrange it i mean it's it, you know there's so much joy in doing that so i think that uh, that's what home means to me so even now like i'm very conscious like you know if i travel we haven't right. none of us have really traveled but you know i really want to like you know pick up something that's meaningful and someone like again he told me that you know don't worry about oh i have this wall empty wall in my house and i have to find a painting for that wall he was like just buy whatever speaks to you whatever brings you joy and he was like you will find somewhere in that house where it will fit in and i think mm-hmm. all the houses have been that for me so i think that really is you know um from a very like design standpoint like uh the home should feel all these things and uh Yeah, I think you should just be really authentic uh, with you know how you want uh, yeah. to you know like portray your home or like you know yeah because only only spaces that are like you know very authentic to you are th- that's what makes you feel very like you know like you feel yourself in those kind of spaces. True. True. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's a that's very well put, and I think that's a beautiful way of kind of. Um, describing it you know it was so funny when you were actually mentioning about um you know owners talking about where they've gotten like certain uh pieces of furniture or antiques or what not actually kind of recalled this story uh which my grandfather told me so um like my mother was born and brought up in bombay so like their family was in bombay like this is like the 70s and 80s and my grandfather was someone who loved kind of doing up his home and they had like an apartment uh, at the time and he would and he would travel extensively for work so he would keep going and getting you know these like antique pieces or something or the other for the house and i believe um he got like a chandelier from somewhere like this antique chandelier thing i'm not sure from where from one of his travels he ended up getting it and he put it and it got stolen and it was so funny because he found the exact same chandelier and it was possibly the same one in uh, chor bazaar in bombay oh my god yeah which is um, <laughs> it translates to the thieves market so and he bought it back because he's like i think this is mine but it looks like mine but i'm just going to buy it back cuz i can't really do anything else so when you said that i was really <laughs> thinking of that story so yeah i mean but no i loved what you had to say uh, about home 
And yeah, now we're kind of coming to the end of this interview. And we always end on these uh, last two questions. So the first one is, you know, what are your aspirations? What are you looking forward to in the near or even distant future? Can be professional, personal or anything really. Uh, so I just, um, I think uh, what I am trying to consciously do, uh, because I haven't done this all my life, is to try and be honest to myself about what I really want to do. And even now, I don't fully know what that is. But I do know that one of my goals was to, you know, start writing for design publications. I don't know if that can become a full-time gig. But I want to just start, uh, you know, I, I just want to take that first step towards that. So that would mean like, you know, finishing the book, getting it published and seeing where that takes me to. And I want to be completely, you know, I feel like all my life I've lived according to this plan that I've set for myself. And yeah. that really didn't bring me joy. And it it was like, I had a breakdown when I was 26, when I moved back home. And that's when I realized that, you know, all this while I've just been trying to do what seemed good to everyone around me in the sense, like not because anyone was forcing me to do those things, but because I was perceived a certain way. And I, you know, everyone thought I was doing something cool, but internally I was very, very miserable. So I, um, I think for me, like it took almost like, you know, like a year of therapy and so much to like finally understand that, you know, it's okay not to know. It's Mm. okay to start from scratch. Mm. But this time around, I just want to get it right. You know, I just want to. So I think for starters, uh, I'm definitely, uh, you know, the next role, like I I definitely want to pivot into, uh, you know, design writing and um, at least like, even if my day-to-day job does not have that on an entire, like, you know, I, I at least want, I want some component of it to have it. And I'm keeping Definitely. myself so, like very open because uh, I don't want to get anxious because I'm moving to Toronto and I, I really don't know what it's going to be like for me because I've never mm. lived out of India. So uh, I'm totally okay. Like, you know, studying, I'm totally okay. Like working if I get something that I really like. I'm basically totally okay starting from scratch because this time I really hope that I'm, you know, on uh, on the right ladder yeah. towards where I want to go. So, yeah. No, that's that's amazing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think one silver lining is you had, I guess, that realization at a fairly early stage in your life, because I know people say that, oh, like your 20s, you need to hustle and this, that and be settled and whatnot. But I think the fact that you kind of realized even at like, say, 26, that, oh, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. And you took that decision because a lot of people do end up kind of doing things they're not happy with and realize much later. So I think that's definitely a silver lining. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what you do um, for the book and even just other things you're going to do, because um, I know it'll be amazing. It'll be incredible. Um, also, yes, uh, just going to give a quick uh, shout out to Ashwin Chabria, who is one of our guests mm-hmm. on the uh, in previous episodes on this show. Uh, as you know, he and Ashna are husband and wife. So yeah, you can go check out his episode too, because he gave a lot of shout outs to Ashna in that episode. Ashna has not given even one shout out on I this was, episode. I was, I was going to say that, uh, I mean, uh, I really don't know what my life would have been minus him because he came at that point where I, re- I re- 
you know, like um, it's very weird, but uh, therapy made me realize this, that all my life up until I was 26, actually, even now, hmm. I, um, my entire, like, um, I kind of like hinged my entire self-worth on what I did professionally or, ca- or academically. I, f- I thought very right. little of myself minus that, right? So hmm. even in school, like, um, you know, uh, I really... I mean, I don't think I studied for the joy of it. I studied more because my parents were like, oh my God, this is so amazing. You're like a star child. Simran, you suck. You should be more like <laughs> Ashra. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I thrived on that. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, right, like even 11th and 12th, I chose science because, hey, all the smart kids choose science. Dumb decision. But anyways, and architecture, again, I, you know, like so many people in architecture school who's who were studying with me they pivoted okay because right. they were smart enough to realize or they were uh, they were brave enough actually not smart enough they were brave enough to know that there was something else that was made for them and they could use this as a foundation to pivot but hmm. for me i was just like oh i have spent 5 years doing architecture so now what do architects do after they graduate they get into the best possible uh, organization and that's what that's exactly what I did. I got into one of the top, uh, you know, offices, and I worked there for three years. And I, while I learned a lot, I was so 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 miserable. And then when I came, like when I quit because I had like a breaking point, I really, I came back at twenty six and I didn't even know what I liked. You know, right. so so I just feel like Ashwin. Uh, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, and I was so scared because I was like, oh, I, I wasn't even able to meet people. I think right. an entire year went by where I didn't want to meet anyone because I didn't have anything to talk about mm. uh, professionally. And I was just like, I'm useless and I'm redundant without that. And um, Ashwin kind of like, you know, told me that, hey, when we have another 30 years of our career ahead of you, it's okay to take time. Some people discover it early on. Let's just like, you know, let's just stay honest. Let's just, you know, keep listening to that voice. Right. So I feel like even this book, like, trust me, uh, the uh, if Ashna, Ashna minus Ashwin would have never taken that risk. I was so risk averse. I would have oh. never done something like this. So it's largely because, you know, he was just like, no, it's totally okay. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. And I feel like I was lucky enough to have that voice because I feel like without him, I would have probably just been, I would have just, you know, gotten another job and, you know, continued on this route, like route and told myself, hey, you know, finally at 40, I'll be like a successful architect, even if I liked it or disliked it. No, that's be- that's beautifully uh, put and more power to you uh, and Ashwin. Uh, but I don't, I mean, of course, I mean, Ashwin's amazing. I, I know him as well. And of course, both of you give each other that amazing sense of support. But I think you would have, even on your own, you would have eventually found your path, Ashna. And I think Ashwin also knows that. And I'm sure he's just extremely happy to be by your side and help you find that in a way. Um but no, yeah, both of you are lovely and, you know, more power and happiness to the both of you. Both of you are doing very well. Um, so, Thank yeah, coming <laughs> So coming to um, our last question, um, what is a piece of advice or learning you'd like to share with people? Again, can be creative, professional or something you've just generally learned in life. I know you've already kind of sprinkled that throughout yeah. this episode, but if there's anything specific you'd like to share. 
Uh, I really think that, I mean, for me, like really the biggest learning is to be kind to yourself. Right. And um, to give yourself that space to, you know, be happy. Right. And I feel like uh, you can only personally be happy if you're professionally happy. Like I mean, you don't have to have like 100 on 100 on both spheres, right? But like since we spend most of our day doing like, you know, doing uh, like, see, like a lot of people, right? Like they can do jobs and they can view it with the lens of like, this is just a means to an end. But right. people like me, I like, because I derive so much of, who I am from what I do right. that kind of that kind of doesn't work with me right so I think that I I mean I don't know like uh I think that yeah I think it's okay to like start over and it's okay to have these honest conversations and check in with yourself and it's okay to feel scared because I've been feeling scared for the last one and a half years but like I feel like at least we're making a start to you know trying to find that happiness. Definitely. You mean, I mean, you may never know what your calling is. I don't know if I will find it out in the next few months. So like, but at least like, you know, you're taking small steps towards getting to that. Right. right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So no, that. no, that's uh, it's very well put. And I think uh, a lot of people need to hear this because I think a lot of people are kind of still, you know, doing things that may not feel authentic to them. And for whatever reasons, um, sometimes some people can't even leave it because either, you know, they're the breadwinners, they have financial constraints or other, you know, life, uh, life happens. So, yeah, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to find what it is you truly enjoy doing and what fulfills you and find your purpose, as they say, then you're extremely fortunate and if you just need that little nudge to go, you know, find it. I hope this serves as that nudge for you. Um, but yeah. Actually, I'd like to add that, uh, Sangeeta, you've been very inspiring to me because I remember when I came back, I actually met you for coffee at Sandy's and I was, uh, maybe at that point you didn't know how distraught I was on the inside, but, you know, you told me that he like I was doing this and I, I was working in shipping and logistics yeah. I didn't like it I feel like law is my thing and then you went for it and and uh then and you know just with everything that you've done with writing like you know this podcast your published work and your poetry and your page and just being so consistent is so inspiring because I'm sure even you may not have seen that many monetary returns, but you're keeping at it because it gives you joy. And I think I seek, uh, you know, I am always inspired more by people I know uh, personally and what they're doing with their lives. And I, so I definitely do have to say while Ashwin, I speak to on a like everyday basis. So he has, you know, like helped me. I definitely do, do know that I took a lot of inspiration from your journey and even Popo's, if she's going to listen to this episode, because she also has done some, you know, has taken some really courageous dis- decisions that has made me feel like, okay, you know, it's it's okay. Even if I fall, like at least I had the courage to take that decision. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's very kind of you. That's very nice of you. I mean, we're all finding our ways. And uh, yeah, um, Popo is one of, uh, again, our mutual friends. If... Uh, who knows, maybe we'll get her on an episode later. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, um, 
on that really positive and wonderful note, uh, we've now come to the end of this interview. Thank you so much for being here, Ashna. I absolutely love talking to you. And I'm so excited for With Love Madras to come out. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. I hope I didn't speak excessively. Oh, don't worry. I'll fix it in the edit. Uh, again, you know, <laughs> listeners, you know the drill. If you can figure the edits, please let me know. If you can't, that just means I'm improving. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Ashna Lulla. I loved getting to know more about her journey from architecture to writing, and I'm so excited to read her upcoming book, With Love, Madras. Closing this episode with an excerpt from With Love, Madras, written and narrated by Ashna. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll see you next week with a new guest and a new chronicle to share. Talk soon! I'm going to be reading out a few paragraphs from an essay titled The Maximalist of Madras. It's one of the essays that are being featured in our book with Love Madras. Uh, the reason I picked this particular essay was one, you'd never imagine seeing a home like this in Madras. And two, Sangeeta pointed me towards this home. That is a very interesting story that I'm sure she will share. Uh, so here goes. When Ashwin Subramaniam opens a door to the cabinet of curiosities that is his Madras home, Riverside, the only valid response is a jaw drop. The exact jaw dropping moment occurred as I was doom scrolling on Instagram just a week prior and came upon the home that was an exaggerated play on color, texture and patterns. Even through the screen on my phone, I could see ombre colored goblets peeking from behind an oversized vase of flaming pink bougainvillea and a royal rosewood cradle fashioned into a coffee table filled with books and Balinese baskets. When Iris Apfel said, more is more and less is a bore, she must have been looking at a similar scene. I was convinced I had to see it for myself. I contacted Ashwin, the homeowner, and here I am standing face to face with a six-foot Garuda statue, the vehicle of Lord Vishnu. Once painted in saturated colors, reds, blues, and greens, reminiscent of temples, Ashwin acid washed the piece, giving it an aged patina. The mythical bird sits amidst a cluster of sofas with kaleidoscopic cushions and paisley shawls sourced from the souks and bazaars of Central Asia. I look around closely, eager at what else could lie in store here. Ashwin was born in the 70s when Chennai was still Madras, evocative of a different era. The streetscape was a combination of coconut groves, temples and street cricket. This formed the backdrop of his childhood at Riverside.